Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. This is a CBC podcast. All right, I want to start this week's episode with something a little different, mostly because we're in the same space, which is still relatively new for us, uh, because uh, Daddy Strang of Nova Scotia has done such a good job of Daddy, guiding, Daddy, Daddy. guiding us Nova Scotians into a somewhat stable situation, COVID-wise. Yeah. Very stable. I mean, relatively, relatively stable vi- relative to other places. Extremely I stable. I what is that? I what immediately is that? don't like the look of this. I have here just a little <laughs> snack for each of us. Oh, I got to no, get that last one. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't, here's want, the, I don't want a surprise snack. I I actually really don't. Don't. Here's the I thing, don't, though, about about uh, about um, showbiz is yes. Anding is kind of the key when it comes to. I will. Yes. And the as soon as you put forward. that in your mouth first. <laughs> Uh, we'll have, all do it together at the same time. One, I have two, my three, four, I have five, my Invisalign in. I can't eat right now. You actually have to, Brian. I'm sorry. Uh, this is something that we're all going to do. So just take your hand, Taylor. I need to give you nine of these. One, two, three, four, five, six. Nice raisins. Six. Seven, it looked kind of moist when nine. you pulled it out, which made me immediately not right. want anything. So Taylor has it. nine. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. <clears throat> Open your hand. I don't like that you can look at it and see... It Six, looks seven, eight, like nine. they look like raisins. Lauren, get over here. No, dude, there's something super spicy for sure. Don't, 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 don't. I'm smelling. Just, it. just leave it. Just hold on. Don't ruin the surprise, guys. This is a, this is a, this is a surprise that's going to be worth it. All right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight, well, Lauren, is that a vagina on your t-shirt? Yeah. There you go, <laughs> Lauren. It's the vagina of the face, and you have two. All right. and guys, <laughs> guys, this is exactly what our uh, listeners have been waiting for. Yes, some ASMR, some eating ASMR. So, <laughs> no. is this something Daddy Strang recommended us have for our immune systems or something? Well, I'll get to that. <laughs> okay. So, you should have told me to take my Invisalign up, out first. I actually forget that you wear braces, Brian. Uh, bottom, <laughs> That's because they're invisible. <laughs> bottoms up. Um, oh, we'll each take a little, a little, uh, a little. If you want to be watching this, you can watch it on YouTube. We're on YouTube now, so just heads up, folks. Wait, all at once? Gonna- all together. Three, two, one, go. You really did wait until I put them in my mouth. Okay. Let it breathe. Let it breathe. A little okay. bitter at first. They're raisins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're soaked in like alcohol. Or do you believe me that this fucking woman in the United States of America, 105 years of age. Wait, did we just eat her? 
<laughs> is that what was all shriveled up? <laughs> that it was the consistency of what I imagined. I got a five-year-old woman. That's tastes it. Like I yeah. got Lauren to sacrifice her out in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Chopped her up into little tiny raisinets. And now we're now we're eating human. No, you're um, you're officially you're officially a part of the crew. Uh, Lauren, that was your, that was your pledge. Lauren, that was your pledge. <laughs> See, your pledge. Lauren prank. gave you the thing. So you, before we get to what it is that we just ate, you asked Lauren if she had the thing. What, what is when that? she showed what did up? You just drink? So the fact that Lauren was willing to eat it too and didn't really make a big yeah, deal knew, about yeah, it. Yeah, she knew it was up. Maybe I just have a death wish. Look, <laughs> we all we all just commit mass suicide on. on yeah, was this YouTube. a Jonestown type deal? <laughs> it was for your health. There was a 105 year old woman in the U.S. who beat COVID. 105 years old. She got COVID on her 105th birthday. Oh wow! New York Times had asked her, Lucia de Clark, how she lived so long, and the quick she had a quick answer. Prayer, 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 she offers. One step at a time. No junk food. But surviving the coronavirus, she said, also may have to do, may have had something to do with another staple. The nine gin-soaked golden raisins she has eaten each morning for most of her life. (laughs) Gin-soaked? What's the... She said, fill a jar, she explained, nine raisins a day after it sits for nine days in gin. Now, we put this together today. Those, gin, those, those raisins were soaking in there for maybe nine minutes, but hey. This um, is a, the, they were soaking for two hours. There we go, two hours. I love how go. Jeremy's so 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 quick to adopt this, <laughs> but, but, he could go, but he could go to a naturopath and go, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, 105. She's not, but she's a hundred and five. <laughs> that is anecdotal evidence is the best evidence. That's right. That's, Thank that's you. What we've Thank learned you. on this podcast. I know somebody else who would agree with uh, that. Lauren, I just want to apologize to you for Jeremy sending you out to get ginseng raisins. <laughs> I today. looked like the wildest kind of alcoholic <laughs> yeah, today. You did. I went out. Yeah, I went out to Sobeys or no. First, I went to the NSLC, got the gin, and I went to the Sobeys for like raisins, which I couldn't find because it's the one that's like being renovated and no one knows where anything is anymore. And I was wearing sweatpants and like an oversized oh, fleece yeah. hoodie with the wolf on it the one i was wearing last weekend yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. no bra just looking like wild frantic i'm so yeah. frantic yeah, yeah. sorry well keep your raisins. I, I am i am grateful i'm grateful yeah. for you there, there's more that. to this uh, her children and grandchildren recall the ritual the raisins uh, as just one of Mrs. DeClark's endearing lifelong habits, like drinking aloe juice straight f- from the container and brushing her teeth with soda. That worked, too. She did not have a cavity until she was 99. Like, this this lady is onto some shit. Yeah. Quote, 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 we would just think, Grandma, what are you doing? You're crazy, said her 53-year-old granddaughter. Her, Let me repeat that. Her 53-year-old granddaughter. Because yeah. granddaughters have to be... She, Tiny children. I mean, I, what's the last time? What was the last time you met a? What was the last time you met a granddaughter that wasn't five? Never. Thank you very much. Uh, now the laugh is on us. Wait, we're she, grandkids. No, no, get out. Yeah. No, 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 no. We're 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 adults. We're adult grandchildren. This is an old lady grandchild. <laughs> There's a difference. Um, it is a long list. Uh, uh, her. So she she's beaten a lot of shit. And this this is actually what I found to be quite fucking fascinating she was born in 1916 in hawaii uh from parents who came from guatemala and spain she lived through the spanish flu 
She li- she lived through both world wars. Through two pandemics. Two pandemics. And I wonder if she got Spanish flu. And yeah. uh, and the yeah. death of three husbands and a son. This lady has lived a life. <laughs> she could have also been a serial killer. She was perhaps. also she also grew up in Hawaii. So I think that explains a lot. I think if I grew up in the sun. I'm gonna, like I'm gonna that. agree with you. Dude, on Every day, planets, I think man. I would, I think I would live forever. I think there's just something be like different the about most, it. Like we're sitting here, and it's like minus twenty. Outside. I love living here, but there's definitely <sighs> something fully different about yeah. living in a warm. Climate. I think that yeah. people who, I think we need <clears throat> to travel south for a portion of the winter. Yeah, every like year. Birds. She, well, she moved to Wyoming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, she moved to Wyoming, California, and back to Hawaii before finally arriving in New Jersey. New, New Jersey. <laughs> New Jet. This is her. New Jersey. <laughs> Let me see that. Does, she, does she have a. Uh, I don't know. I'm just. She's 105. What's it called? She doesn't yeah. have a. She, have the thing, uh, like a vocal box yeah. thing. What is it? If you like. Did you. Yeah, like, there's a, I saw a sweet TikTok video. I think uh, Maddie's sister sent it to me of this kid using uh, his like grandmother's throat thing to auto-tune his voice and sing songs. It, it was like great. a little kid. It was really, it was super adorable, but also <laughs> super impressive. Her, uh, her old ass granddaughter went on to say she is just the epitome of perseverance. Her mind is so sharp. She will remember things when I was a kid that I don't even remember. Mrs. DeClark, the oldest resident of her South Jersey nursing home. I would hope so, man. 105. <laughs> learned that she had contracted the virus on her 105th birthday, January 25th. The day after she had gotten her second dose of the Pfizer vaccine, according oh. to Michael uh-huh. Neiman, the home's administrator. Oh, sweet. At first, she Crazy. was scared. She did not like being isolated, and she missed the daily chatter from the parade of caregivers at Mystic Meadows Rehabilitation and Nursing, a 120-bed facility in Little Egg Harbor. She showed few symptoms, Mr. Neiman said, and within two weeks, she was back in her room holding her rosary beads and wearing her trademark sunglasses and knit hat. <laughs> her two surviving sons, five grandchildren, 12 great-grandchildren, and 11 great-great-grandchildren who call her Grandma Lucia. She has a new moniker. Mrs. O'Neill said, the 105-year-old badass who kicked COVID's ass. And there she is. Oh, man. Oh, look at the- <laughs> those... Dude, look at those shades. I know. Those shades dude, are I know. Just holding a rosary, eating those fucking you know gin soaked uh, raisins. You know what's crazy about, about people who are ultra, ultra old is they, <laughs> what's crazy about people that are ultra they tend ultra to old? be that they're alive. You know, <laughs> that's what's fucking crazy. No, no, because they they people who are that old, they also tend to be people that are still up and about doing things that a lot of like people in their late seventies find find it hard to do mm. like they're they're up there they're going for walks they're dry like a lot of them still drive cars yeah or like it's because they just like part of the reason why they live so long is because they yeah. they, they 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 continuously feel a sense of purpose because they don't lose function Ooh. like a lot of other people do when they get you know up and to their like <gasps> let's say 75 plus like you right. think once you once you get into 75 and older you're kind of in that really old it's like you're more likely category. to hear a story about an, the 95 year old that ran the marathon right. than the 80 year old that yeah. ran the dude marathon. Kyla's grandfather is 96 fixes trucks and tractors dr- still drives still yeah like now yeah 
Really? Yeah, Whoa. still drives. But should yeah. he be? Because yeah. there's a lot of people yeah. that are driving yeah. that. Yo, he just smile. he just got <laughs> his uh, he just got cataract uh, cataract he just got a cataract surgery because oh, yeah, he, actually, your place he couldn't he couldn't drive for a little bit because okay. of his cataracts. Right. Got his cataracts uh, fixed. Doesn't need prescription glasses at all anymore. Wow, that's dude's ninety six. So he can see better than me. Yeah, dude, like <laughs> how many gin-soaked raisins does he have every day? He has I need forty-seven to know. gin-soaked raisins every day. He just has a okay. bottle of gin and then he eats some raisins. He's gonna go strong to one. He soaks them in his belly. How, how old do you think you, the oldest person on the planet right now is? One oh eight. I think it's Ooh. her. I'm, I know the the oldest woman ever was one twenty-one or one twenty-two. I think she's from Kenya. I'm gonna say one twelve. <clears throat> I think uh, COVID's killed everyone older than her, and she's the only one. Well, possible. Kane Tanaka, oldest person living. She was born January 2nd. Maybe it's a January thing, dude. Maybe I'm going to live fucking forever. Yep. January yeah. 2nd. It must be January. 1903. <laughs> She's 117 Whoa. years and 41 days old. Crazy. Damn. I was wondering if there was wow. anybody who hey, was look born up, look in Look up oldest the person 1800s. ever. I think, it's, uh, I think it's a Kenyan woman in the 120-ish region. <clears throat> this reminds me of that story of, of uh, Kyla's grandfather. reminded me of me talking to my great aunt at a... I was funny, Funnily enough, we were at a funeral. and uh, Funerals are and, funny. And I was, walking, I was walking out of the funeral and uh, I was chatting with her on the way out the door. And, and uh, I said, uh, and Olive, how are, you, how are you getting home? And she was, she was like, oh, uh, I drove. And I was like, oh, she? fuck. She was like 90. But like, she oh, was like 90, said, but oh, she was fuck. like, went, oh, fuck, oh, dog. Fuck. Oh, shit, <laughs> dog. You drove? Said, oh, fuck, you drove here? And uh, <laughs> and I actually, I was like, I was, I actually reacted with like, oh, my God, you drove here? And, and she went, was oh, like, my God, is everybody okay? She was like, well, I, I made sure I took all the back streets. And oh, well, I was like, considerate of her. I was like, if you know you need to yeah. take the back streets, yeah. shouldn't be taking maybe you exactly. shouldn't be driving. Yeah, exactly. That's what somebody who's who's drunk does. <laughs> uh, the, they go, I'll just take all the back streets. <laughs> which you which don't do. Don't don't do it. I said I didn't say any one of uh, us. I said somebody who's drunk. Uh, yeah. the oldest person ever, at least as far as we are concerned, uh, is Jean Louise Calment. She was 122 years old and 164 days. Is she Kenyan? Is that no? She right? was from France. Oh, um, probably born uh, in January. Pretty, pretty wild though, eh? Uh, I mean, I, the the wild thing to me is that you know COVID has taken a lot of lives, but to but God damn, to know that a 105 year old woman got it and beat it. That's a nice. That's a nice thing. That and nice. the gin soaked raisins. It's, that's kind of cute. It's very, it's very cute. I love how it's nine. Brian, uh, your braces fell on the ground there. I love, ew, ew, gross. Yeah, it was Jesus. very specific. Oh no, and they're invisible, so he can't <laughs> find them. <laughs> I actually looked down and oh, I was like, God. God. they're lost in the shag carpet. <laughs> they're gone. Hey, if you want to see the shag carpet, uh, you can tune in to uh, the the host sections of our Feel Good Friday episodes on YouTube. We're going to be putting them on YouTube uh, in the for for the for forever now. If you're a listener to this show and you're not going mm. over to YouTube to subscribe. Hit that, hit that alert button, oh, yeah, and 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 leave a really nice comment. I mean, are you really a fan of the show? Go on over there, check out what we got going on because this shit, this set is fucking legit. Yeah, and we want you to see it. And you're definitely gonna want to see this thing. So one of oh, my one, no. of the, one of my favorite 
Oh my god! Instagram accounts that I actually don't follow, but I have Lauren follow it for me. Uh, god I'm, damn! And, I'm and good I, with this. And I also have my I also have my wife follow it, and she'll sometimes send things to me. It's called Medical Talks. We've talked about Medical Talks a number of times in our live shows, <laughs> and we're currently looking. If you're just listening at home and you don't have YouTube, um, get your life together. But also, uh, we are currently looking at. Well, let me just describe it to you. Dude, look at that midfoot. That, that big toenail sliding off. This is pretty interesting. Midfoot amputation due to diabetic gangrene. Gangrene can develop when the supply of blood to an area of your body is interrupted. This can occur as the result of an infection arising from an injury and or due to hardening and narrowing of the arterial arterial walls, both resulting in obstruction of blood supply. Um both resulting in obstruction of blood supply. It's crazy because I like I've heard of I've heard people with diabetes or friends of people with diabetes Lose say like be careful be if careful you stub your, your toe like yeah. you don't want to you don't want to get an infection it could be could result in something really bad but yeah. so I had on. no that, idea that is it was bad. that. So yeah. you so so you're just subject to worse infection <clears throat> when you're diabetic? All of your organs need oxygen to survive. If one of your body parts isn't getting oxygen through your blood, it can deteriorate and die. People with diabetes have an increased risk of developing gangrene. This is because the high blood sugar levels associated with the condition damages the nerves, particularly those in the feet, which can make it easy to injure yourself without even realizing. High blood sugar can also damage your blood vessels, restricting the blood supply to your feet. Less blood means your feet will also receive fewer infection-fighting cells, so wounds will take longer to heal and are more likely to become infected. An infection can spread quickly, and if left untreated, it can lead to sepsis and eventually death. Man, can you imagine if you got... But what's wild is the way they amputate it. Like, they're just going... Like, I mean, that toe, that big toe looks ouchy. Well, I would amputate it... Just looking at the nails alone, <laughs> I would. Yeah. You know. I wonder how much of the. I wonder how much of the gangrene there, was in the nails. Or is, that's what is, the nails oh, hold on, though. Before. That is a lot of nail going. No, on, to eh? be fair, that person didn't care much about their feet anyway. So it's better that they is, don't have it's to hard, deal with it's it anymore. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. But that, like, it's hard to say if the nail was too long or if that's like a if that's a result. But look at the other seen, toenails. I've never seen a piss colored nail before though. Oh, oh yeah. How what? much how much Oh dude, just meet find someone with like fungus on their toes. I'd rather Those not. yellow yellow ass hey, toenails. Hey, hey guys, I just want to say, hey, if you're listening right now and you have yellow toes, There's it's okay. Wrong with it. No, Sorry. it's not okay. Go to the fucking doctor. It's not okay. <laughs> do I'm going to cut off your foot. What do you mean hey, it's okay? Hey. Brian's just over here trying to make everyone no, feel better. I mean, I mean, I <laughs> get mean, your ass to the okay. doctor and get some cream. I'm assuming that they've been to the doctor. <laughs> get some it's cr- okay. Hey, get some it's cream, okay. he says. Um, <laughs> so, so, so I know we've, we've spoken to a number of people with diabetes on the show, but we've never really come across... Um, anyone's story where where they actually like had a pretty scary running with their their feet and and running up against like really severe infection but as i when i saw this photo i was reminded of this wild thing out of uh out of the yukon that maybe you've heard of maybe you haven't but if you haven't um it is it's called the sour toe shot okay so the sour toe cocktail uh-huh. 
is practically, and, and this also reminds me of those delicious, delicious gin-soaked raisins we just ate. I can't believe I, I ate what you gave me. I know. You, I, you I, just I know. gave us a surprise thing. he put thing it in, in his it. mouth, so that was... Yeah. No, I, you didn't I, wait, I, I committed. You just, yeah, yeah, you just waited. I waited. Yeah. The Sour Toe Cocktail is practically a rite of passage for visitors to Dawson City, Yukon, a place that I, I want to go so badly. Well, it's a simple drink, a shot of whiskey, usually Yukon Jack, with an unusual accompaniment. <clears throat> a mummified human toe. This is from the CBC. Whoa. That can't be legal. Yeah. Well, how did the sour toe cocktail come to be? It all started during Prohibition with a nasty case of frostbite. It's way too recent. In the 1920s, <laughs> the, run, the rum running Lincoln Brothers. Louis back, when, and, back when Gene was alive. It, Louis and Otto. Gene was alive. She was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Louis and Otto got caught in a blizzard. Louis put his foot through a patch of ice and soaked his foot. When the brothers got back to their cabin, Louis's right foot was frozen solid. To prevent gangrene, oh. <laughs> Otto used his axe to chop off Louis's toe. He placed the toe in a jar of alcohol to commemorate the event. Fast forward to 1973. Legend has it that Captain Dick Stevenson found the jar and the toe in a remote cabin. He came up with the idea of the Sour Toe Cocktail Club, an exclusive club with one membership requirement. In order to gain admittance to the club, potential members must drink the legendary Sour Toe Cocktail. There's just one rule. You, can't, you can drink it fast, you can drink it slow, but your lips must touch that gnarly toe. Ooh. In 2013, this is how I came across this. In 2013, one man swallowed the toe. Stop. On purpose. Died instantly. <laughs> he was run out of the town. But then he came back seeking forgiveness from the people of Dawson City. And actually, Hold CDC... On. So it was has, always the same toe? Uh, well, after this Must guy been, after yeah. this guy ate it, they had to get a new, a new toe. So there's a wonderful... Who, who donated that? There's a wonderful uh, CBC doc... This guy. <laughs> ...about this guy that ate the toe the and had to it? go... No, the, the, the diabetic toe. That's the... <laughs> oh, Jesus. I gotta hope not. But here's, here's a picture of the, of the sour toe shot. You can see it right there. It does look like that Whoa. toe, though, doesn't it? I mean, look at the... That if you compare be, the that two, that's... Real. It they, is the same Would you guys, would you guys do that? Would you drink that? Fuck yeah. Yeah, me too. Dude, there's gotta sure. be something that is very not okay. With that, it's uh, apparently it's pretty legit. It's sterilized with the alcohol, dude. This yeah. is like this puts being screeched into shame. It does, yeah, it does, yeah. yeah, yeah. And for those of you who don't know, being screeched in is a Newfoundland tradition for folks who have uh, are new to the island, and uh, it's 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 a way to become an honorary Newfoundlander yourself. And you you basically you you, you drink some alcohol and you kiss a fish, a dead fish. Drinking a drinking a shot with a dead human toe and having <laughs> that's that touch next your lips, level. <laughs> kissing a dead toe. That's yeah. the next level. But that's uh, that's Dawson City for you. Beautiful, well, si beautiful uh, city. Beautiful city. We're um, well, I am, and Brian might be there. I don't know what Brian's exact plans are, but we might go in um, and uh, bike the oh yeah uh, the Dempster Highway. Right. Starts in Dawson City, goes all the way up to the Arctic Ocean, 800K. I will come for sure, and I'll drive the support van. Drive to, that's actually a great idea. That would be really and, helpful. Uh, <laughs> and in Dawson City, we will do the dead man's Oh, toe. baby. We would def I would definitely do it. So that would be so fun. So they were, but did they replace the toe? Because this guy went back. Yeah. To well, the, I, I don't, I, I don't, thought, I don't want to spoil the documentary and, and, uh, okay. and, and not that this was like an do ad you know for the a CBC answer? doc. 
Uh, I do know the answer. The the so it's called uh, Sour Toe: The Story of the Sorry Cannibal. Why don't you just give like a like a pause and say like mute this for the next ten seconds if you don't want to spoil? Yeah, because right. I'm definitely not going to watch right, mute this. Yeah, mute this for the next ten seconds if you don't want it spoiled. He came back. He felt so sorry. He came back with his own toe cut off, and he what? gave it back to them for real. No, no, I actually forget the documentary. Um, but, I, but but you should but you should go listen to it. Damn it. Right. And then now we're coming back for those people that paused. Crazy, that's, right? That's yeah. wild. That was, wild. Yeah. that was really wild. That yeah, really I think. So so uh, so Bri- I know Bri Bri. So I, in prepping some of the the stuff for these visual, it's now visual, folks. You can go watch the show on YouTube. Uh, Brian's been really anti-gross stuff. And I know that I just hit you. Not since we started YouTube, just forever. Just forever. Ago. But you know what? I'm I'm cool with like the diabetic foot amputation. I could look at that stuff okay. all day. And like medical talks. I just don't like the extreme gnarly stuff. Yeah. Well, I got I what, do what's I, your line? Anything from your mom's house. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That is fair. I have I did prepare a little bit of um uh some eye bleach for you. Okay, perfect. A little bit of a uh, which a, sounds a palate cleanser sounds counterintuitive yeah, to what does. you would think it is because this uh, is actually a clip of someone pouring bleach into their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is actually a video. This is a clip from from here. This is local, which actually went super viral. Uh, it is a gentleman from Spryfield, I believe. The video currently on YouTube has over 15 million views, I think. Oh, and uh, uh, if I get the story correctly, I don't think I saw this. This is is this is an ode to his partner, his wife who passed away. Uh, he promised her that he would keep these little critters company, and uh, he goes out each night, I guess, and does this. This is his ritual. Oh, oh, oh my god! Trash pandas. <laughs> That is a bucket uh, full of wieners, hot dog wieners. Uh, oh, my. <laughs> you know what? Those raccoons are so cute. They're nasty, but like, I dude, they're, they're so super them. cute. They're so cute. cute. They're so, so one cute. of my favorite animals, other than the uh, pygmy marmosets, is the uh, the red panda. Mm. Oh man, <laughs> this is crazy. And they and raccoons kind of remind me of that. Dude, look at one over his shoulder. I know. He's just like, hey, what's up? I'm your, he's my daddy. So he started doing this. He started doing this, and uh, and more and more raccoons would show up every night. So all the raccoons up in Spryfield, they're like, have you fucking heard about Buddy? (laughs) He's coming out with with a bunch of wieners. (laughs) Yo, um, my, my parents, they, uh, they were, I can't remember exactly how it started, how, how they, I think they were just hearing noises, hearing noises. And like voices? No, like just like 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 random <laughs> random. <laughs> yeah, someone's someone speaking in tongues between two and three a.m. <laughs> they check their CO two detector, and uh, and so there was uh there was they were hearing you know bangs and little creaks and stuff at night, and and then and then during the day, and they they go up in their attic, and we have one of the my the house i grew up in it has one of those attics that like you go through a like small thing in the in, in the, the ceiling in the ceiling like, and it's like, like the attic in hereditary and, and it's like and there's and it's there's nothing up there it's just it's just undone we floor actually, and beams we went through a phase in like our teenage years where we wanted to hang out in attics all the time yeah, so we would go because we knew there's attic no one go would mine. go there yeah <laughs> so so uh they so my my 
my my dad i was gonna say my mom like my mom would never do that plus she's like three foot tall (laughs) my dad goes up into the attic and finds a a a family of raccoons the mother is dead oh no there's a there's like there's got to be between like somewhere between like five or eight they love to baby raccoons pack up they love to be like hanging out and they're all in there and they're like they're like oh buddies this big oh super super small and they bring them down. They fucking lived in my parents' house for like two weeks. Well, they're one of those animals that like because my parents didn't really know what to do with them. They were feeding them. Yeah, they called the vet. They told the vet, or they called the vet, or the I think the, vet, I, the I think vets. They, the vets like uh, they called got any wieners. I think they. <laughs> I think they went to uh, hope for wildlife. I think they went to hope for wildlife. Yeah. I, I I mean I'm sure there's a listener out there. We get we get lots of uh, lots of emails from from listeners uh, giving us like corrections when we say shit that's wrong. We love your letters. Letters at sickpointpodcast.com uh, if you want to send them to us. But uh, And correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe that they are like pretty easily domesticated a- animals. Even though, okay, you probably should. I'm, I'm sure you probably shouldn't. <laughs> I know you probably shouldn't. You definitely but if, shouldn't. But like this guy here in Spryfield, he could probably pluck one of those little critters up and bring him into the house and... Remember you when know. we got drunk in Charlottetown and we tried to make friends with the fox? Dude, you tried to fuck yeah. that fox. <laughs> Taylor loved you that loved fox. that fox. You were like, you you were got it was, we had to leave. It got <laughs> the weird. The fox really liked you too though. The fox <laughs> did the like fox you too. Really liked you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh but yeah, don't don't domesticate well, I don't raccoons. Know. I, or uh, anyone. I'm not gonna say don't. <laughs> also But maybe do. <laughs> I don't you know, like but maybe don't. don't. But definitely don't. I wouldn't but, say definitely don't. But have have you guys seen the type Possibly of animal do. that you should domesticate though? A, a skunk. What you should? As a man, you I'm shouldn't domesticate you. any animal. You <laughs> fucking nincompoop. Unless it's a raccoon. You just said that maybe you should domesticate <laughs> yeah, you should. raccoons. But not a skunk. Come on, skunks, skunks are domesticatable. Skunks are super cute. I do know this. They're super cute. Oh, they have like so wait, like is that your reason little snorkers? for that? It's just yeah. the cuteness factor. Definitely. Well, you know what's going to take yeah. the cute out of all this. Is in Fuck. in looking up this in fucking finding this video of uh, of Buddy out in Spryfield with the sc- with the raccoons. You better have another palate cleanser if you're gonna play. This is gross. this is not a palate. <laughs> Hold on, does this have a uh, does this have a health thing? Did he get bit and have, does he have rabies? Well, or? no. This is this is how I'm gonna tie it to health. <laughs> so my girlfriend <laughs> sent me this meme earlier today. The timing was perfect because I was I was setting up that video anyway, and I was like, this has nothing to do with health. I just wanted to give it to Bry because oh, Bry because right, right, I knew Bry was gonna be. Fucking butter, oh, right. butter the that, but it, Hey, look, guys, toe in there. Right. We should continue this thing. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll try to make cute <laughs> for you every time. Okay, sweet. Thanks. But make I, make I, cute. I couldn't <laughs> not add this. My girlfriend sent me this meme today. Um, the human anus can stretch up to seven inches before taking damage. Oh. A raccoon can squeeze into holes as tight as four inches, meaning you can almost. You can take almost two full raccoons up your ass. Now, I understand yeah. that this is a meme, so I did some digging. And I've come to yep. <laughs> a definitive conclusion 
of what is actually possible. Do we have a video of Raccoon? No, I, I like no, how, no, uh, fuck, I wish Taylor and I that I could ruin <laughs> Brian's life forever. <laughs> Taylor and That'd I, be your, some of your mom's Taylor and shit. I are in the middle of uh, like setting up stuff in the office and doing some work, and Jerry, you're sitting over in the corner researching how many inches that, can an asshole take that before That is literally breaks. what I'm doing for work. <laughs> how many raccoons? My job is going, how wide can my anus stretch? As long as there's no pictures or videos. No, I got it. none of that, but... But okay. I will say this. We can talk about it. It is a little known fact that adult raccoons. So these big, these big fuckers right here, these big old boys. All right. Look at like they're, oh they're fucking my big. Oh, my God. This is too cute. <laughs> Holy smokes. So one of those fuckers uh, can fit through an opening as small as three inches to four inches. Not one of those ones. I don't understand. Not on, a, not on a hot dog diet. Not on, <laughs> not on, a, not on a, a spry field hot dog diet. That's correct. Uh, to prevent access, you should inspect the home or structure at all possible. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, so, so three to four inches, right? So I was like, okay, how far can the can the human asshole stretch? <laughs> Timo's asshole. Up, up, Timo's asshole. That's that's. Oh, oh no one's gonna see that. That's a Patreon. Uh, could, if you want to see it, go watch it on Patreon. Yeah, there you go. Patreon.com <laughs> yeah. slash Timo's uh, asshole. It's, 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 it went up Timo's asshole. Um, so 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 how 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 wide could Timo's <laughs> asshole stretch? Well, guys, it's not just butt content on Patreon too. So if yeah, you're thinking about yeah, uh, yeah, okay, joining okay, Patreon, okay. it's more than that. <laughs> so so <laughs> it, it actually depends on every everyone's body. It depends on everyone's body because it's not about. It actually has nothing to do with how wide your asshole actually can stretch because apparently the tissue and, and everything that your, your rectum and your asshole is made of is like, I mean, obviously not infinitely stretchable, but like very, very unbelievably stretchable to, to extents that like we might not really be able to wrap our heads around where you get caught up, where it ends. Is it like a piece of paper? Like, Eventually, it's as like it, you could fit the earth inside your. Eventually, asshole. you would stretch <laughs> like if you didn't have cer certain bone structure, you could stretch your asshole so wide that you eventually just swallow you up just, your you just swallow. <laughs> and, then and then you're inside yourself. I am an asshole. Am an asshole. <laughs> then you just become inside out. So person. it's it's called what uh, what is collo colloquially known as the pin bone diameter, the distance between the ischial spines on either side of the pelvic girdle, is the hard limit. So with the and then with the distance between the coccyx and the posterior side of the pubic symphysis running second place. So so basically I broke that where your the, the diameter between your I guess it's like your sits bones, right? Like it's it's kind of those like protruding bones in your butt that if you like sat on a hard surface and you go and push in, you're like, oh, oh. That's the width of which it can stretch out. Now, wow. on, imagine though, Tay, the amount of raccoons you could have fit up your asshole. When it was yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You all I need fit, to do like, is three more. All I need to do is look at my bike seat and I go, "That's how wide my asshole is." <laughs> so, so, so on average, um, this this pin bone diameter is thought to be about five inches. So, although the meme <clears throat> which states uh, the human ass can stretch up to seven inches. And a raccoon can squeeze into as tight as four, which means you can fit two. If you go by the calculations of what I just said there, research shows research shows <laughs> that if a if a raccoon can fit into a size a place as small as four inches, and your your pin bone diameter is about five inches, you can for sure 
guarantee yourself that you can fit one of these big boys <coughs> all the way up your butt. Now, now this is and one of those moments. Say, that's what I would say. Holy smokes. This is one of those moments where we, where we are, we are looking at you fans who are doctors and healthcare practitioners or, 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 yeah. or, um, yeah, this is if you're still here with us, ask doctors in particular, um, can a raccoon fit inside a human asshole? Please I guarantee you out. someone's gone to emerge Letters with a raccoon asshole related injury. Hey man, we Dr. Should. John Ross has told us about some wild stuff that people go to the emergency room I think with he said up their ass. 80, 80 to 90% of all <clears throat> emergency room visits are people getting things stuck in their ass. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact that's you know fact. we we should have an an anonymous er doc on the show to talk about all of the that's things that idea. people have had anonymous no fuck that let's get the let's get i don't think can you can yes they, you can, can. They say? i mean yeah, you, you, you can get one of those you can't can reveal one, names yeah yeah exactly right. you get one of the docs that are like cool and hip and yeah i mean fuck john ross was yeah old, with, yeah docs, like a, you know like a doc who's with it you know yeah. Yeah. We should call John Ross up, who's very professional. For the people who didn't hear the episode with him, just go like and this, listen to it. He was great. He was, listen, he was right? really great. Um, <clears throat> but maybe not the guest that we would have on to talk about explicitly about. I would definitely have him on just to talk. All about right, let's do it. Insertion. Let's get yeah. let's get John Ross back Tee on it up, to love. talk about only <laughs> asshole in- insertions. Speak- we'll just make it a feel good Friday episode. Speaking of letters, uh, we got one come uh, that has come in from a medical professional. And uh, they're actually from here in Halifax. Uh, her name is Jen. Uh, Lauren, do you want to do you want to read this for us? No, but I will anyway. Okay, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Jeez, so- those just gin-soaked raisins, raisins went straight <laughs> to her fucking brain, eh? I know. I've gotten real feisty. Uh, hi, guys, and Lauren. Just finished uh, listening to the recent episode with Josh, the genetic counselor. As a genetic technologist working here in Halifax, I was hoping to have something I could tear in on him about, but it turns out he knows his shit. No notes. The All only, right. Yeah. The only thing I might touch on is that it's possible due to differences in our healthcare systems, it might be more difficult to see a genetic counselor in Canada than in the U.S. I'm not a counselor. I can get you in touch with one if you're looking for a local perspective, but I work pretty closely with them and, and know that there's a pretty long wait list. So you would typically need to have a reasonably strong suspicion of a genetic problem in order to get testing. Uh. This would include having symptoms of a genetic disorder having a family member with a known mutation or having multiple family members with cancer, especially at a young age. As a technologist, I'm the one working in the lab who receives the samples and runs the tests on patients. We extract DNA and drop slides to look at chromosomes and use all sorts of fancy machines and techniques to read the genetic code. It's a surprisingly cool job. Did you know that you can see DNA with your naked eye when you extract it? No, that's wild. That's crazy. Uh, that's wild. She wrote, she says it looks a bit like snot or another mucousy white liquid that I won't mention. Do you think she means come? Do you think she means come? I was thinking saliva. <laughs> I was thinking come. <laughs> <laughs> to answer, this is so funny. You said saliva, Brian. The next thing she wrote to answer your question about sample types, we actually almost never use saliva in clinical labs, Ooh, as it wow. actually doesn't have that much DNA in it. Was it always come? It's all she, and then she goes on to write, "It's always come." Uh, she, she also she wrote, didn't say that. <laughs> just to be clear, we should just start reading people's letters and then just start riffing just on them, making, and making shit up. Shit up. Uh, a That's blood not funny. sample is relatively simple to collect and gives us a yes, ton of material to work with. 
Uh, we'll also look at other tissues depending on the reason for testing, including amniotic fluid, bone marrow, skin, and tumors. Guys, we should get a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger to put on one of the shelves. We really should, or add him to the soundboard. We, should, we, we weirdly should get, talk about him we a should lot. Get, we should get a photo of Arnold with his ponies. <laughs> anyway, she I says can, that I can put uh, together. she has a experience with genetic testing as a patient. She says oh. she has an extended family member with CF, and while shadowing one of the genetic counselors as a student, uh, she says, I was informed that my risk of being a carrier was one in eight. As I was hoping to have kids in the next couple of years, I was able to get in to see a counselor and get tested relatively quickly. Oh, and wow. then she says to to cover cover her ass a bit, testing on yourself in the lab is generally frowned upon, especially in a clinical lab. So we need to have testing ordered through the doctor, same as everyone else. So she did. You you go, girl. Good to know. Uh, yeah. Luckily, I was also not currently working in the same areas as CF testing is done. So there's no way I could peek at my results. It turned out I was a carrier of the Delta F508. 508. That's that's is my that, gene. That's yours? Yeah. It sounds like the name of a plane. It is it does, the yeah. worst plane you can be a passenger <laughs> on. <laughs> There's no air it's, things that come it's, down. It's one of those, yeah. it's one of those Boeing 77s that have the engine Allegedly. On it's the Allegedly. plane Valerie was on. Allegedly. Uh, yeah. But my partner didn't carry any of the common CF mutations, so we knew that our kids had a pretty low likelihood of being born with CF. After mm. My second kid was born. I was uh, started getting interested in genealogy and ended up doing a 23andMe test. Uh, the CF mutation showed up in there as well as another random recessive condition. It was interesting, but I'm more interested in the genealogy side of things. Um, yeah. Then she goes on about her 23andMe cool. experiences. Well, that was uh, we really appreciate that. And again, folks, if you have a letter that you'd like to send to us, whether it's something about your profession in the field, something about what we said that was wrong, something about your life in general, uh, we always encourage you to send it in letters at sickboypodcast.com. Um, we have to wrap this shit up because we have an interview. Uh, in five minutes. So this was really fun. But you know what's going to be even more fun than this? The interview that we're about to throw to you right now, which you can listen to over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you find fine podcasts. Uh, what is the interview we're throwing to? Lo? Is it the mRNA episode? Yeah. Dr. Zetter? Yes. Ooh, fuck yeah. Bruce yeah, Zetter. A this is a, this is this this episode's for all the nerds. Bruce Zetter takes us to school. He takes us yeah. to school in the world of mRNA. Uh, so let's throw to that episode over on the audio platforms, but on YouTube. It was nice to see you all. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks, homies. I'll see you next week. I, I don't really have many Boston stories other than I got drunk at the Wilbur uh, oh. last year. So well, there you go. That's there you go. efficient. Yeah. yeah. Cool. But yeah. then you got a lung infection after that. Next I got time. A, I got a, got a lung infection while I was there, too. So oh, that's, that's not good. That. But next time you come to Boston, look <laughs> me up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we'll get you into more trouble. Yeah, well, let's uh, with that, then let's dive right into uh, <clears throat> what we are here to talk about today, which I'm I'm really excited because. 
I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about mRNA, but I am familiar. Uh, it's it's definitely something that we've been hearing a lot uh, as of as of late in the news. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we dive into the subject matter, uh, we are sitting with Dr. Bruce Zetter. Um, and Bruce, uh, why don't you why don't you give us a a little introduction into who you are, the work that you do, and uh, where you're coming from? Okay. So uh, I am a biologist, um, got a PhD many years ago, uh, and I specialize in cancer biology. And my research laboratory is located at Boston Children's Hospital, uh, but I work on both children's cancers and adult cancers, uh, where, wherever the research uh, takes us. Um, lately, our research has taken us into the use of uh, messenger RNA. Uh, in the treatment of cancer. And so uh, I've been talking to people about um, how we go beyond COVID vaccines and use mRNA for Mm. other purposes. Yeah. And that was what, that was what caught, uh, that was what caught our attention. It was an article that Jerry, I believe you sent to uh, our, our group a couple, maybe three or four weeks ago now on, I can't remember what the publication was, but basically that, that, the this idea that that mRNA vaccines and COVID has sped up uh, what we can or what we think we are able or might be able to do in the future with mRNA and specifically as it related to cancer, which um, which seemed seemed really fascinating. Well, um, can you? What what is mRNA? I'm sure yeah, that I was that gonna is, say. Let's start with that. because like, like I, we were talking about mRNA, and I'm like, I still don't even know what yeah. it is. Like, <laughs> I know that I know that like you know we we've been hearing like mRNA. It's in the vaccine, and you know like it's I in mean, the vaccine. Yeah, like, I I don't know anything, Bruce. Bruce. I I need like I, and if you could if you could dumb it down for a for a dro- a theater school dropout, that would be right. spectacular. I'm I'm going to explain it all. All right. right, So mRNA, it's four letters. (laughs) And um, if we start with a cell, all right, so we're all made up of cells. Mm. Um, But if you get down to the level of one cell, then you can think of it as a small town. It's got a wall around it and it's got a city hall in the center and all the information for that cell or everything it's going to make is in the records at city hall. And that record is in DNA. Mm. And you've heard about DNA and DNA are your genes. All right. G E E G E N E S genes. Gotcha. And I, I love this so much. Yeah, this no is doubt. the perfect right. like so, layman's yeah. terms that I need. So to what's the, this. what's, what are the genes going to do? They're going to tell the factories on the outskirts of town, what to make and when to make it, Mm. all right? That's the the purpose of your genes, is to tell the factories to make protein. So those factories are called ribosomes, and they're out on the outskirts, okay? So City Hall's in the center. It's got all the information that the factories need. The factories are outside of town and the outskirts. How do we get the information there? And so we make a kind of copy of the DNA for a particular gene, and that's called mRNA, and the M stands for messenger. So the mRNA is 
made as translating information from the DNA. And it's like a bike messenger. It goes out a city hall, goes over to the factories on the edge of town and says, here are the instructions, make this now. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it's your email, it's your bike messenger, it's, it's getting the information out of the nucleus over to the factories. Now, one important difference between DNA and RNA, DNA is there as long as the cell is alive. It's always there. If you put in a new piece of DNA, it'll be always there. The mRNA, the message, when it gets to the factory and gives us information, after a little while, it self-destructs. It's like the tape in Mission Impossible. It's exactly what I was thinking. It's not going to be there forever. (laughs) So very important when we're talking about mRNA as a therapy versus DNA as a therapy. Hmm. If you put in new DNA, that's called gene therapy. Your DNA is genes. Put in a new gene into a person's body. It's there for as long as those cells are there. mRNA is going to last a few days. It's going to do what you want it to do. So it's, it's very useful for things that only have to be there for a while. Mm-hmm. We're not yet good at doing it over and over and over, although maybe someday. So that's gene therapy versus mRNA therapy. They're both aiming to do the same thing, get you a new protein made. So, so with the mRNA therapy is basically what we're doing um, if the bike messenger is heading to the factories, the ribosomes on the outskirts of town, we're kidnapping that MR, that, that bike messenger and then sending a new bike messenger to deliver a new message? Yes, we're sending a, <laughs> a new message. Exactly right. Sweet. So what Convert. we're doing, like it. what we're doing is we're making a bunch of new message for what we want. Mm. And now we're going to put it back into the body in the appropriate place. So we're like a Russian troll farm trying to sway an election. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever whatever the positive version of that is. Exactly right. Now, why would we want to do that? Okay. And we'd want to do that for in the body and not for the elections. (laughs) Um, If we want to put a lot of a protein in to make a vaccine, we can talk about that in a minute. Or if we had a defective or faulty protein, Mm -hmm. because the the gene, the DNA, the record um, was was altered, was mutated, or it was lost. Sometimes genes just drop out. Mm. And so we've got a bad gene or we got a missing gene, and we want to get that instruction over to the factory. So we'll make the mRNA, we can do that now in the laboratory and stick it into the arm, for example. And let's say that mRNA is for spike protein from COVID. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now the muscle in my arm, after I put the mRNA for a few days, is going to make a ton of spike protein. All right. Because we, we told it to do so. We instructed it the cells in the arm to make spike protein. Now my immune cells see the spike protein. They go, holy cow, we got a ton of spike protein. I never saw this before. It looks bad. I don't like it. If I ever see this again, I'm going to attack it. 
And now you get COVID and your immune system attacks the virus because it's primed, it's ready to attack spike protein. That's, that's how vaccines work. Back before mRNA, you would put the actual protein into the arm, right? And then you'd get an immune response. So mRNA- like you put the actual, you could put a, a bit of the virus- A little, a bit, a of, bit of the virus or the spike protein, if that's the right. thing you wanted to make, you would take sure. that protein. But it takes a long time to do that. So the reason people are excited for vaccines right now about mRNA is that you can make that mRNA really fast. Mm -hmm. You can, in a week, have new mRNA to a virus you never saw before, a bacteria you never saw before, and get it right into people. So is that the is that is that the 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 simplified reason for why why we have been able to cut down the the time oh, to produce a, a, a vaccine from, you know, like whatever the, years yeah, whatever whatever the most was, recent, yeah. recent fastest one was, was like four or something, four, four plus years, years, five years for the down to Ebola vaccine. Wasn't a year. Yeah. So, so two things cut it down. One was the technology. So getting the MRNA for, for what you want to immunize against is much quicker and easier and you can get a lot of it. Um, and the other thing is that <clears throat> many countries sped up the regulatory process. Right. So normally, if you were developing a new vaccine, in order to get it approved by any regulatory agency, would take you years. And in this case, we were able to get it quick, do the clinical trials quick, show it was safe, mm. and then get it approved <clears throat> really in record time. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm starting to feel pretty like com comfortable with this analogy. Like I feel like I'm I'm really Same. understanding how it works. But it's it's funny because like in simple terms, it sounds really easy. Like when you when you make that analogy of of the cell as a city and hmm. city hall and the factories, like it's like oh geez, that sounds pretty easy to do. But then I think about like what it actually takes to create. Um, messenger RNA and how you actually do that, then all of a sudden I feel like I'm way in yeah. over my head again. And why, and, and in that article that we, that we <laughs> read, when, when it started talking about the, uh, how we might adapt these, uh, this MRNA technology in to use in, you know, potentially to use in, um, in various cancers, you know, when somebody is, somebody's diagnosed with a cancer, uh, there was one part of the article that mentioned, you know, this, this, um, usefulness, what we thought that maybe 10 to 15 years from now, we'd get that. And then because of COVID, this is, this technology is sped up rapidly. And now that, that period where we think we might be able to use this in cancer treatment is, has, has come much closer to us. I think it was like three to five years was in the article. Um, so to kind of what you're saying there, Brian, what, mm. What was it about mRNA that we didn't know before or that made it so challenging before that has now made it, has now brought it so much closer to our ability to use it? So the technology to <laughs> understand messenger RNA, you know, the structure of DNA was found in the 1950s. <clears throat> and the concept of the mRNA, this message that took the the information in the DNA and sent it out to the ribosomes. That was in the, only in the 60s. But we've been making progress incrementally ever since. 
-hmm. So we've got 50 or 60 years working with DNA, working with RNA, understanding it, knowing how to get cells to making it. We're using the cell essentially as the tool to make a lot of mRNA. We put in a little bit and the cell just makes more of it. Um, so we get these, we get these effects <clears throat> that we know how to, to get. We know how to get cells. Uh, we know how to get the mRNA made. We know how to get it packaged so that it can get to cells. So all this technology has been developing and is, has been, I would say, just about ready for prime time, okay? But it takes a long time to get any new kind of medicine. This is a whole new kind of medicine. You know, the first gene therapy, putting DNA for something into a patient, that was done in the 1980s. And then it sat for a long time. Uh, and only now we're coming yeah. back to gene therapy. But we, we know the technology. There are more things to work out. It, so is, people is were it, working it, toward this mRNA therapy, and but it was going to take time to get the regulatory, to do all the clinical trials. Mm -hmm. So what happened was that COVID showed that we could use mRNA in people, mm. get approval for mRNA in people. So if it was going to take just plugging along in the same way that we've always done before, was going to take another five or seven years. Maybe now it'll be three to five years. Right. So it, it was it, essentially at the. It was essentially the, the 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 hesitation. I guess the natural hesitation that the medical community, by and large, has with adopting something mm. new, where you've got methods that are tr tried and tested and proven, and and you know you it, you're comfortable with that, and you've got this new thing that needs to be adopted and and adopted across different across the world and that just you know that machine churns slowly that's right yeah is it um when so when you're creating these new instructions um or new mrna are you editing the existing mrna that's there are you creating new mrna do you have to get rid of the mrna that already exists like I'm so interested in how that actual process works because I feel like it's so hard for my mind to understand. I'm just really curious of like how that process actually right. takes place or is it like so complicated that I wouldn't be able to understand? Not it so complicated. Let's <laughs> okay. take, let's take the uh, easiest to understand case. And that is um, you lost a gene for an essential protein. It's not, it's not there and bad. It's gone. It's, it's lost that that record fell out of the out of the city hall. OK, you're not making the protein, but but you need it. You've got some disease now from not making that protein. I can take mRNA theoretically. And put it into your body and your cells will now make that protein. Okay. All right, because. The mRNA is instructing the ribosomes, the factories, to make the protein. Mm -hmm. And as long as that mRNA is there, then the protein will be made. But as we said, RNA is not stable. It's not going to last forever. So if it's something that you need to continually give, then going to have to inject it over and over. And that's mm -hmm. something that we haven't done before. 
Right. I want you to remember that before <laughs> the COVID vaccines, no humans ever received mRNA. Before. Whoa, really? Some, some other kinds of vaccines that people were trying to develop for Ebola or Zika or things like that. But this, mm -hmm. it's not been a therapy until now. So we're so, learning about it. Everything we do with mRNA right now is learning about it. And the reason we use it in vaccines is that the protein only has to be there for a short time. Right. right. So uh, although we're not quite there yet, what would, in, in your mind, in the next, you know, whatever, four or five years, like what, what would it look like for mRNA to be used in some sort of treatment surrounding cancer? Like, like what, would the, what, would, what would those treatments look like? What kinds of things is mRNA capable of doing for, for uh, certain types of cancer? So I'll, I'll give you two different types of cancer sure, therapy, yeah, yeah. one that will be ready to do sooner and one that's something that I work on that probably is going to take a little longer time. So we have the capability to make what we call cancer vaccines. They're a little different than regular vaccines because you use a cancer vaccine after the patient has cancer. Mm -hmm. Whereas most vaccines that you think of, we get the vaccine now, and then if we get exposed to a disease later on, it will right. stop it. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. Is that because there's way too many types of cancer to even begin to think about doing anything proactively? So that's, that's very good. That's part of the reason is that there are a lot of different things that you would want to vaccinate against cancer because all the cancers are different. Right. But let's say there's a person who has <laughs> cancer and on their cancer cells, on the outside, there are some abnormal proteins because cancer cells are really good at making new and funny kinds of proteins. So someone has cancer, on their cancer cells are these abnormal proteins. Now, I can find out the structure, the sequence of that protein and, and make mRNA that will make that protein. Mm -hmm. Now, I put that mRNA into the muscle of the arm of that patient, the immune cells see this cancer protein. They've never seen it before because they, they weren't getting to the tumor enough. But now it's in the arm. It's, we're making a lot of it. And the immune cells say, oh, if I ever see a cell like this, I'm going to go kill it. Hmm. And then they go around the body and they see cancer cells that have that protein from that individual patient's cancer and they attack the cancer. It's a kind of wow. immunotherapy. But right. we call it a cancer vaccine <clears throat> because we're immunizing 
the patient with their abnormal cancer protein. Right. So can cancer vaccines is something that's being worked on right now. Mm-hmm. Companies are trying to make them. Uh, in the past, they would make them just with a protein. And now we make them the mRNA because that gives you more protein in the arm. It's, it's quicker. It's more effective. And so cancer treatments for individual patients <clears throat> will probably come along quicker with mRNA for the once we know that patient's abnormal cancer proteins. So when you hear about immunotherapy, <laughs> is it always referring to this mRNA type of treatment? Because we had a couple of friends and past guests on our podcast who have gone through these immunotherapy trials. And uh, I've always wondered how that works. Does it always, if it's immunotherapy, is it always referring to? No. Okay. No. So I I should make that clear. There are many kinds of immunotherapy. Immunotherapy is just a blanket term for stimulating the immune system to attack your cancer. Okay. So in, in most people, Every day, a couple of cells turn cancerous. It's, it's just a kind of a, a normal um, consequence of your, your making new cells every day. And as you make new cells, some just get to be wrong and, and become cancer. And very often, your immune system recognizes those. It says, this is foreign. I want to get rid of it. And we call that immune surveillance. So why do we get cancer then? We get cancer because some cancers fool the immune system. They either hide from it, like I put on an invisibility cloak, right? And now the immune cells can't see it. Or they send out substances that disable the immune cells. So you could have a bunch of different kinds of immune therapies, one that tore the invisibility cloak off the cancer cell, another one that, that jacked up the immune cells in general um, to recognize cancers and, and kill them better. So there are many ways to use the immune system. And this has been, I've been studying cancer for 40 years now. And the greatest successes that I've seen have been in this new field of immunotherapy. Right. But immunotherapy is a blanket term that refers to a whole bunch of different kinds of treatments. Right. And 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 no one yet has gotten an mRNA vaccine. Right. Yeah. To to make a better immune response to cancer. That's the next step after the viral vaccines that we're seeing. Is the the idea or the hope that mRNA, using mRNA vaccine in in, in relation to to, uh, people who've developed cancer, is the hope that that will be sort of this, you know, like cut above in terms of therapies, you know, that some of the immunotherapies and, and, you know, radiation and chemo like is it is the is the idea that this will come in because when i read that i went i went whoa especially when the word vaccine is attached to it because vaccine at least in the public Mm -hmm. consciousness i think you know connotes this oh you you get the vaccine and it goes away Mm -hmm. and it's gone and you won't get it again and and then you're you're vaccinated from it 
And then, but when I'm thinking about cancer, I'm, it seems so, so it seems, it, it seems like this very, um, like this very like, oh wow, this is just going to come in and like cure a cancer. It is the, is the hope that this will come in and replace things like, uh, like chemo and radiation therapy or, or is it just another kind of tool in the toolbox to, to fight, uh, to fight cancers? I think it's another tool in the toolbox. It's, it's one that I'm excited about. It's one that I think is going to have a lot of promise. Immunotherapy is the first thing that has been able to give people routinely, the ones who respond, not everybody responds, but the ones who respond routinely get long-term remissions. Right, right. All right. Well, the, the people in the field of cancer tend not to use the word cure. Right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and it's because too much has been promised, right? Mm -hmm. And some cancers come back, but we use the word long-term response. And long-term, we mean years. We need five, ten years or longer for for some people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the hope is that um, you'll you'll not die of your cancer. Right. Um, You'll go on to be hit by a truck or something else. Will <laughs> something cool, <laughs> but you won't you won't die of your cancer, and that's what we're aiming for. And and we're going to use every trick in the toolbox, you know. And it's going to be different for each patient for quite a while. But right. this is a, a very exciting <laughs> promise. Now, if I can get Jeremy to your to your next question, um, yeah, that, yeah, that was what's the other way to do it? So. You have, you have genes that change in cancer, all right? And, and some of them are bad genes. We call them oncogenes. And when you've got more oncogenes, your cancer grows better. Yeah, no one likes an onca. Nobody mm -hmm. likes an onca. And then you've got normal genes that prevent your cells from becoming cancerous. Now, let's imagine that you lose your normal gene that prevents you from becoming cancerous. What happens? Cells become Cancer. cancerous. Yeah. Those are called tumor suppressor genes. So most of your cells have functioning tumor suppressor genes. They were put there for another purpose, but they turn out to normalize your cells and prevent right. them from being cancerous. So many people with cancers have bad oncogenes and they lost their tumor suppressor genes. Got a double whammy mm -hmm. and that cancer is growing. <clears throat> so what we've been doing is taking mRNA for the tumor suppressors. The cancer has lost its suppressor. And we put the mRNA in little particles, put them into the bloodstream. They get to the tumor. They have to find the tumor and get there and start to have the tumor remake its tumor suppressor. We call mm -hmm. that trying to normalize the cancer. And you make it a more normal protein. Now, this is very cutting edge, only been done in mice. Mm -hmm. Nobody in the clinic has received it. Again, three to five years, maybe people will, will start right. to do it. And it will be used in combination with other kinds of treatments because we don't want to have to keep giving the mRNA over and over and over. We want to sure. give it with, with other treatments, immunotherapies, so that the cancer will go away, essentially, and you won't have to keep doing it. I think I think this is like a like a perfect segue into a question that we received from one of our patrons. So one of, one of our listeners, um, her name is Hannah, 
And she knew we were going to be talking to you. So she submitted this question, which is, other than cancer and infectious disease, do mRNA vaccines have the potential or are they already being investigated for the use in genetic diseases? Could they be used as regular treatment to code for proteins that are deficient in cells due to genetic mutations and reduce, reduce slash eradicate the disease symptoms in a patient? Is that so, kind of what you were just saying? Like, is that, is that sort of in line with what, like with, with, with what you just said about, about the MRNA kind of going in and fixing these, like these, these cells that, that have these genes that have, have been lost over time. So, so Hannah just set me up and, and <laughs> thank you for that. Good job, Hannah. <laughs> um, so let's not talk about vaccines anymore. Let's talk sure, about yeah, yeah. replacement therapy. Like, like can, can we, it, I, this might be a selfish and also be uh, maybe gonna, out of line, but I was like, thinking you get can we talk <laughs> about cystic fibrosis? Like, could, could this be you? Cause I live with CF, right? So could this be a potential, could this, could this fall in line for, for a potential uh, treatment for CF one day? So um, I don't want to start advertising any particular companies, but there is a company in the Boston area and I can tell you offline its name. And it is working on mRNA therapies for respiratory diseases, hmm. including pulmonary fibrosis and cystic fibrosis. And there actually are in clinical trials with an mRNA or cystic fibrosis. So let me ask oh. you guys, I would, if I was trying to treat a lung disease, I wouldn't necessarily inject the mRNA. How would I get it into the lung? You would use an inhaler, a nebulizer, right. and that's exactly what they're doing. Wow. Now, is this going to be the antisystic fibrosis? I honestly don't know, but it's the kind of thing. Now, why, why would you do it on something where you could get it directly to the organ where you need it without having to inject it into the whole body. Those would be great uses. Um, so the, the lung is a, a terrific example of a place where you can get to through inhalation, get the mRNA in, it's not going to affect the rest of the body, hmm. get the cystic fibrosis protein that's been defective, the CFTR, CFTR yeah. and start making that protein. Now, what we mm. don't know, and why I don't want Jeremy to get too excited, we don't know how many times we could do that. Mm, is it right. something we'll be able to do once and you'll feel great for a week? Is it something that's going to be able to be done over and over and not have any side effects? So these, this is the stage where those clinical trials are. Mm, right. But that's a clinical trial for replacement mRNA therapy. Let me tell you another area. It's not replacement so much, but think about wound healing. Right. Now that's something where you only need, let's call it a healing protein, protein that makes a wound heal faster. You only need it for a few days, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what if you had a skiing injury and you tore your ACL or your MCL? And you could inject into the knee mRNA for a healing factor that would make that injury 
heal much quicker. Mm. That's something (laughs) that people are working on. And and another thing that people are working on and um, actually is progressing pretty well is for people who have had heart attacks. So after a heart attack, you've cut off the circulation to your heart, your your heart cells are dying. Mm. There's a healing factor that's called VEGF, V-E-G-F. And people are injecting mRNA for VEGF into the heart after heart attacks in hopes to speed up the healing of the heart. Mm. So I, I want to step back and say I'm painting a rosy picture, but that sure. rosy picture is five years, maybe 10 years out. Right. The only mRNA going into people right now is for the vaccines and a few very early trials like the respiratory trial and like the heart trials. Mm-hmm. We are in, you know, it's like the first people to get penicillin. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Right. How I long mean, ago yeah. was that? Yeah. And yeah, we yeah. have a ton to learn about it. So yeah. I don't want people calling you up and calling me up and saying, where can I get mRNA for this disease or right. cure my ACL or any of these things because <laughs> it's not there now. Yeah. I, I mean, think yeah, if, I if, think you, if you like, want to call me up, I, I won't be able to get you yeah, mRNA, but I'm sure I could hook you up with a bunch of other stuff you're looking for. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think you call me up, whatever, whatever you need. I uh, think of uh, like like even like concussion therapy and, mm. and like things like CTE and stuff like that. It seems like it would be, uh, there would, there could be a lot of potential for, yeah. for those types of things. Like the, the things that take a long time, because really it's it's sort of, you know, in a lot of these situations, it's sort of like expediting the recovery process to a certain mm. extent. Right. I, I think I think that, you know, as I think it's 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 important that you make that note that like that we are very early on in this and there's who knows where where this might go. And 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 right now, really, it's only people that are receiving the vaccine that are that are that are getting mRNA pumped into them. But I mean, as a as a as a doctor, as a scientist, like it must feel, it must feel pretty exciting. It must feel, yeah. you know, we like we're, we're in a pretty exciting, pretty hopeful time right now to see, to see the, the, the silver lining that has come from COVID, yeah. you know, this, yeah. this boost in research and this one potential, this one potential thing that could, that could really make quite significant waves in the way that we treat things like cancer or other and genetic sooner diseases. than they would have. I, I yeah, love like, the way you just put it because this is the unexpected lining of a terrible pandemic. Yeah. Right, yeah. And yeah. what it's done is it's taken a kind of new therapeutic way of thinking that people like me knew was coming and we thought it would be here in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's here. Holy cow, it's here. Mm-hmm. And it's in people. Now there are going to be hiccups, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't think that anything brand new is just going to work smoothly all the time. Mm-hmm. But for everything that you and your listeners can think about, could it be used at this? Could it be used at that? Could we do this? Some scientist is thinking about that. Mm, they're think, they're mm-hmm. they're in their labs in universities and hospitals. They're in their labs in in drug companies, and they're saying, "Could we do this?" As a scientist, yeah. that's the most exciting time. 
Could we do this? Oh, my God. Um, So we're all sitting around saying, can we do it? Now, some of those are going to become therapies. Some are going to drop by the side of the road. And And we frankly don't know which ones. But it is an incredibly exciting time to think about a whole new kind of therapy. Totally. I, I do want to ask, as somebody who holds themselves to very high journalistic standards, <laughs> um, I, 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 do, I do want to ask about vaccine hesitancy, specifically as it, as it relates to um, mRNA. It, like mRNA is being used for the first time in people. Um, is there any cause for concern in the fact that this is the first time, like the fact that this has been expedited or, or done quickly for the sake of treating COVID-19, like is there potential long-term effects that we, we, we don't know about? So a year ago or eight months ago, <clears throat> my friends would ask me the same question. I said, you know about mRNA. Are you going to be the first one in line for the mRNA vaccine? And I said, no, I'm not going to be the first one in line for the mRNA vaccine. Because before I did that, I would want to see considerable safety data. And I think that most people should be saying that to themselves. I want to see whatever it is that's the data that makes me comfortable that this is safe. And Anything, you know, um, you know, anything benign, eating, eating, uh, you know, flowers could make some people sick. Mm-hmm. And whether, whereas everybody else is going to be fine. So I recently came to the conclusion that the safety data <clears throat> looks good to me. There are going to be some few people that have <clears throat> a bad response, but most are going to be fine. And then they're gonna have much less severe COVID. And so I had my first shot recently and uh, that's how long it took me. Um, but maybe in October, uh, I would have been more cautious. Mm-hmm. So I think people have to make those decisions for themselves. They have to see how many people are being treated and how it's going and, and each vaccine is different. So there are other kinds of vaccines coming out, um, and we'll have to look at the safety for those. Mm. But it's, it's not, I don't think you can criticize people in general for being cautious because it is brand new. And yeah, you want to see how it is. But then you have to make decisions both for yourself and for the people around you and for society as, am I going to be part of trying to stop this pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. And it's been I, a uh, and it's and it's been a it's been a recurring <laughs> theme that we've talked about is is clearly demarcating the difference between people who are anti-vaccination and yeah. people who are he- vaccine hesitant and having you know very valid concerns about a new mm-hmm. a new thing and and not because I feel like there has been in the public this lumping of this lumping of two groups, people who are vaccine hesitant and people who are against vaccinations with, you know, very, uh, very, I was going to say very little with no real evidence. Um, but, uh, and, and then, gr- and then group and then grouping them all together instead of going, Hey, well, these people are, these, these people are being silly and these people are being thoughtful being and it, being yeah. smart and asking questions and, 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 and wanting to like you, like you, and like you said, 
when I see the data that says that this is a safe, uh, a safe, um, a safe treatment to receive, then I make the decision to get it. Yeah. I think it's healthy to, yeah, 100%. to, to yeah. do that way. Don't be blind either way. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Bruce Zetter, this has been uh, an absolute pleasure. Uh, we are so grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule to sit down and uh, teach us a little bit more about the wonders of mRNA uh, and and letting us leaving us and our, our listeners feel a little bit a uh, little bit more hopeful and a little bit more excited for what the future has to offer. Thank you so much. And Dr. I will Zetter. say that I think it's great what you guys are doing and the messaging that you're getting out to people who listen to your podcast and uh, making health and medicine uh, accessible to everybody. Yeah, well, thank yeah, you awesome. so much, Thanks, Bruce. This is really fun. Yeah, it was. All right, guys. All right, folks, that was our episode with Dr. Zetter. And uh, fuck, that guy, he must have went to he must have went to school or he, something. He probably went to school for a little bit. I think that that was fantastic. I learned a shitload. And, uh, and just to understand, you know, that term mRNA has been tossed around mm. a thousand million times over the past eight months as the vaccine shit has gone on and to understand that in a, to get to, to get a chance to speak to somebody who's, you know, balls deep in that field. And, uh, and, uh, that's what he would say. I I think actually when, when the mics were off, he was like, guys, I gotta tell you, I'm just balls deep in this shit. (laughs) And and we're glad Dr. Zander that you are balls deep in something so important. Um, uh, uh, folks, uh, that is it for this week. We're so happy that you were able to join us again. If you want to watch the host segments of our episodes, you can now do that over on YouTube. We're so fucking excited to be here in the new studio (laughs) and to, uh, to give you an opportunity to, to see it, to see it happening in person. Um, uh, if, if, if we were filming this part, you just see everyone dying, laughing. Uh, uh, the idea of Dr. Zetter with his balls deep in some research. Uh, and listen, we're so we glad that you're listening that. to us. Um, uh, and if you if you haven't already hit the subscribe button or whatever uh, on Apple Podcasts or, or Spotify or whatever you're using, make sure you do that because it really means the world to us. And uh, we are doing episodes every Friday, every Monday. So it's fun to have you be a part of our lives. Yeah. And if you have a, a letter that you want to send us some fan mail, you want us to read us, read for us to read on the show, go to letters at sickboypodcast.com or sorry, send that to letters at sickboypodcast.com. And if you want to get balls deep in us, go to sickboypodcast.com slash guest and fill out the guest form. Maybe you'll be one of our fantastic guests on this beautiful show. And thanks, as always, to the amazing people who put this show together. That would be the one and only Lauren Sankey, Taylor McGilvery, that's you, and Jeremy Saunders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, love you guys. And thanks to our manager, Jeff Lonis. And thanks to Jeremy for editing this episode. Taylor, I know that you hate when I say that twice. But oh, thanks. Thanks whatever. so much. Thanks but for saying that. I appreciate me. you, Jerry. Yeah, I appreciate and you. I also appreciate Rich O'Coin for the amazing theme music Woo. for the show. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Lauren. I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.